You are listening to SFC Radio, The Sounds of Brooklyn Heights. You can find us on our website, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Radio FX. I refuse to believe I've gone over the deep end here. But if there is some rational explanation as to what, why, or how what I just experienced is even plausible, let alone possible, I'm... I I don't even know right now. Maybe I... Maybe I got suckered into some new MKUltra test programs? potent new LSD derivative in the mess hall food? I've overheard agents from other departments referring to us as the unbelievably ignorant unit. It still wouldn't explain the whole damn unit tripping the exact same trip at the exact same time. It doesn't explain what happened to the poor coroner either. I told him not to touch anything. Curiosity will get you every time. But it doesn't mean he deserved what he got. I've put away legit murderers who didn't deserve that Darwin Award. God, I just... I I haven't slept since it happened. Not really. 10 to 15 minutes here and there. Still too afraid to dream a dream where I hear the scream again. No hands to block my open ears. No mouth to cancel the sound of that awful noise. Too afraid to see what I saw on the other side again. I need to breathe, to collect myself, and then try to tell this story. On the plus side, I don't feel like I lost my mind. It's it's actually the opposite. I feel like I'm experiencing some kind of horrific super sanity. Is, Is this what losing one's mind generally feels like to the victim then? This happened. Every detail has been logged into my report. As much as I'd like to attribute it to the influence of some drug or or mental illness, I know this happened. Insanity would actually be a relief. It would also be the easy way out, and that family has a right to justice. Or barring that, some kind of closure in the absence of answers. This probably isn't making a whole lot of sense to you either. We're rowing the same boat right now, to be honest, but somebody out there needs to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this story and repeat this story again and again until such time that it eventually finds the ears of someone out there who understands it. Circumstances being what they are right now, I may only be able to tell this story once. My name is Amelia Watkins. I am a special agent for the FBI's Unusual Incidents Unit, the UIU. You never heard of us because you were never supposed to. I never heard of us until I got transferred here. Internally, this is the last stop. It is where you go to be buried. That's what I hear anyway. It's a revolving door. The UIU, I mean. It's also a vacuum damn near never-ending suction. You either retire, die, or, if you're lucky, you hold on with white knuckles, bloodshot nails, and flattened fingertips, just long enough to be reassigned somewhere a little less deadly, but a lot more demeaning.
it's a crap sandwich and you're gonna slurp down each and every soggy lukewarm morsel whether you like it or not that's what happens when you flub it up like I have turns out all that stuff you saw on the X-Files that was real except there's no Mulder and there's no Scully plenty of cigarette smoking men though they give you a quarter of the story all the risk and none of the credit Quitters tend to disappear, so that's not really an option for me either. Got my 25 cents two nights ago. It seemed like a fairly standard missing persons case, with the usual twist of rotten lemon to qualify it as one of ours. Not enough to know that's what it is, but it's enough to know your bartender sucks. This wasn't just one missing person. It was a whole family, basically up and vaporized. Husband, wife, two young sons, and a baby girl. CCTV in the halls, elevators, and lobby didn't catch a thing. The attendant was at his desk all night. Neighbors claimed to have heard a series of screams, shattering glass, and then silence. Nobody in, nobody out. Not even a fire escape. Twelfth floor, sheer drop from the window, and... No giant red ink blots on the pavement. It was raining the night I was sent to figure it out. Buckets of big hard drops, tapping away on my shoulders like impatient millipedes in combat boots. I remember thinking had there been a few crimson Rorschach craters, the rain would have been thick enough to wash away any stains, but not the trauma. Trauma. That word has new meaning for me now. Had it just been some crazy accidental fall? God help me, I really believe they would have been better off. I'm getting off topic here, I gotta focus. Get my head on straight and tell this story right. So I made my way around the corner and into the building. Swanky looking place. A chubby doorman grinned me a toothy one and asked my business for the night. Everything seemed on the up and up down here, but my concern wasn't the lobby. I had somewhere to be. The director made that part clear. Time is a luxury you can't afford, agent. Get in, make your assessment, and get out. I want your report on my desk by morning. I realized if I spent more time reading between the lines, I'd have recognized the understated warning for what it was. I probably would have wasted less time in my feelings about the curtness of it, too. I waved my badge at the lobby attendant and watched his jovial demeanor melt away like wax under a blowtorch. Apparently, the Mitchell family were well-known and well-liked here. You're looking for 12G. The other agents are already upstairs. Uh... Concern lined his round face like a crinkled subway map. Please find them, he said. They're good people, you know. I didn't have the heart to hand out any false hope. Usually by the time we get called in, that ship would have long since sailed. Twelve G, he said. It was the best I could muster in a response without letting my game face slip. I felt his eyes on me, 
the whole way up the elevator, waiting for confirmation of some improbable happy ending. I always thought I'd eventually get used to that specific look of despair, but I never did. It always sucks. Agent Cole met me in the hall. Watch your step in there. That chicken's a complete cluster pluck. He must have sensed my unease from the last exchange. If breaking tension is an art form, Cole's puns hit like he's holding the crayon with his whole fist. It's just you, me, and the nerd tonight, he told me. He's in there trying to make anus from elbows out of a pink puddle right now. Pucker up before you step in. Looks like a skip site. What's a skip site? I asked. About two extra zeros over my pay grade, Watkins. And at least another one over yours. Just get in there. Do what you gotta do and bolt. Some things need doing, and we're not the ones equipped to do them. The director wants this one put to bed before his hash browns at the plate. Last time we fell behind, it took three months to pull him out of my sphincter. I don't need that kind of clench right now either, I told him. Let me check up on Dr. Dreadful in there real quick. Make sure he's not being overly curious again. With that, I opened the door and walked in. Dr. Shaw was our local coroner. We'd worked with him before, several times actually. Charmingly awkward and more than a little bit brilliant, if not somewhat childlike in his zeal for the job. Nice guy for the most part. He just celebrated the birth of his first grandson. I'd say it was equal parts soothing and unnerving, watching him cheerfully examine what little remained of what was until recently a breathing human. Didn't understand it at first, but maybe that was his way of depersonalizing some of the worst things a brain should have to process. Looking back on it now, I think he did it just as much for us as he did it for himself. Why didn't he listen? I, I held the door open as I walked in. Shaw was on his knees, hovering over a broken wall mirror on the far side of the living room. The apartment was otherwise absolutely pristine. The only evidence of foul play was slowly soaking into the carpet like crushed watermelon. Hey, Doc. Got any idea of what we're looking at so far? Oh, hey, Agent Watkins. It's good to see you again. Eh, yeah, we've definitely got a weird one here. The how of it doesn't make very much sense, but the what? Well, it's definitely unique. Saw it in person one time while crab fishing. Nasty affair. You ever hear an effect called Delta P? Isn't that the scuba diver thing? Like, when the underwater pipeline repair guys get sucked inside out from reverse pressure? I asked. Or is that the astronaut thing when you get a hole in your suit? Cole chimed in here and said, Knew I liked you. You do your homework. Yeah, but only the first one happens here on Earth. See any water around here, though? Can't say I do, Doc. You got a short version for the kids in the back seats? My guts are bubbling to get the heck out of here sooner than later. I do, but I'm not certain you'll like this version any better. What we're looking at here is one of the kids. Going solely by what we're looking at, looks like this one's bones got sucked out through the soles of their feet. Dragged everything else out. Tube of toothpaste. Poor kid. I can barely believe it. What could even do that? That's the thing. 
What we have left here isn't much to go by, Shaw told me. It's a literal mess. The only thing we have here is a hypothesis. It's hard to conclude much more than that, given the state of things currently. Don't fret, though. We'll figure it out. I hope so, Cole replied. Director will have a field day with this if we don't, at the very least, have a theory. In terms of evidence, I did find this. That was when Shaw lifted a single sealed plastic bag, which held what appeared to be a red compact of sorts. Makeup? Maybe the mother had something to do with this. I was careful when studying it. I thought it was makeup too, but get a load of this. Shaw held it closer, and I spotted letters around it in a language I didn't recognize. What the hell? It was thick, deceptively heavy, and so deeply red I almost forgot I was standing in a crime scene. It was just a round cinnabar slab. It doesn't seem to open like a compact either, Cole remarked. It looks more like an antique or an artifact or something. Maybe we should send this to linguistics for translation, I suggested. Maybe, but we'll look like a bunch of clowns if it turns out to be some kind of logo. Shaw opened the bag and pulled the disc out with a gloved hand. Eh, maybe it's one of those new hipster companies trying to be... He didn't get to finish the sentence. There was a flash of blinding light. He also didn't finish the scream. Instinct took over, and I leapt backward before my sight could finish fading from white to red. Adjusting to normal vision felt like it took an eternity. I almost wish it never came back. In place of what was once our friendly neighborhood coroner was now a pink mist hanging all around us. The air felt thick. Thick and moist. The entire room was now blasted in a red hue. Cole had his back turned when the light came exploding into my eyes. He immediately looked around and saw the complete aftermath and high-definition detail that the momentary blindness had spared me. He put a hand to his mouth, and partly out of shock and partly to help prevent inhaling the humidity our doctor had just become. My own luck had seemingly run out. Got a whole lung full of shawl before my senses came reeling back. I had never felt so sick before. I tore my way across the living room, over the couch, and burst into the bathroom ducked into the sink so hard I almost head-butted the faucet. Immediately I began purging what felt like every meal I'd ever had since I was six. Midway through the throes of that misery, I was startled by Cole's cry of warning and the thunderous shock of something slamming hard into the mirror just above my head. The sound was so furious it sent aftershocks down my spine. I wiped my mouth with my sleeve, too confounded to care how gross it was and I looked up at more than my reflection. There it was, that strange red compact, plastered against the mirror as if it had always been there, its polished surface nearly pristine, not so much a chip or a crack on it, marred only by a few random speckles of dried toothpaste. What the hell? Cole hurried in skidding to a stop at the doorway as his eyes found the red disc plastered against the bathroom mirror. His chest was heaving and 
His gasps of breath were heavy. Watkins, we should go. Maybe call the director. Tell him this is something the Foundation needs to look at. I heard him. I understood what he was saying, but my eyes didn't leave the disc as I slowly rose to look at the compact, almost fixated by it. What was up with that damn thing? Was, was it a weird sort of anchor or something? Was, was it magic? Did, did magic even exist? Considering the profession, I really wouldn't be surprised if Harry Potter was an actual person after all. I didn't take any chances when I approached the mirror. At first I tried to pry the object away, but even when I moved, it was almost magnetically attached to the damned mirror. I pulled out my pocket knife, opting for a more aggressive method at prying apart the disc from the glass, or maybe I was venting whatever anger I had. Shaw was a good man. Quirky, but good. He didn't deserve this. He'd, he didn't deserve whatever the hell just happened. And that was when it happened. My knife, slated to scrape or even crack glass, went clean through it. I remember Cole whispering behind me, Jesus, what the hell? The glass wasn't even glass anymore. It was almost like sticking your hand in still water, creating ripples that would echo on the surface until the water would grow calm and still once again. I remember crying out, only for curiosity to replace my initial shock. That was when I pushed my hand through. Watkins, don't. He was sharp and curt, but I heard the concern laced in his voice. I didn't listen. I probably should have. But curiosity got the better of me. I had to know. For the Mitchell family. For Shaw. Don't wait up. I told him before climbing the sink and going further beyond the mirror. That was how I ended up there. Beyond the mirror, there's, there's a whole other world just like ours. I swear it's just like ours, but it's also different somehow. I emerged from the mirror and into what appeared to be an old farmhouse. The walls were dingy. There was mold and mildew strewn across what used to be pristine paint. There was a wooden wardrobe, weathered and worn. The china dishes inside were dusty. They looked like they'd seen better days. And it smelled. The floor was broken in places, and rats would scurry in and out from underneath the dirt. No sign of life, though. I looked around. Called for Mr. or Mrs. Mitchell. There was no response. I thought about calling Cole so he could monitor me while I explored wherever this was, but my phone had lost its service. So much for unlimited data. The place was a complete and utter dead zone. I grabbed an old broom I'd found in the abandoned house and snapped it in half. I left one piece by the mirror I'd stumbled through. I didn't even know if I could make it back. I realized I probably should have done that before I left the house to find a barren and desolate wasteland. No trees. No grass. No animals. It was just clouds, dust, and wind. All I heard were crows. Well, at least something alive was there. I did manage to find an abandoned jungle gym, ruined by rust. No sign of any kids. No sign of the Mitchells. I was determined to find any survivor, anything to show some good. Positive result, anything. 
if this was a whole other world, maybe the Mitchells were somehow trapped here, and if I could get in, maybe I could get them out. It didn't really matter at the time how or why this world existed beyond the mirror, at least not to me. I just wanted to crack the case, collect whatever evidence we could, hopefully find the Mitchells, submit the annoying paperwork, and just go home. We all deserve that, at least. As soon as I got outside, I took in the sights, or lack thereof. The dirt was a muddy mix of brown and gray. The air was dry, and the wind seemed to howl. The sky was a dull, overcast gray, with the sun nowhere in sight. Did the sun even exist in this world? I looked behind me, at the abandoned farmhouse, and caught sight of a dilapidated barn behind it. It looked sadder on the outside than it did on the inside. It was left to rot, abandoned for whatever reason. No sign of people, no animals. Nothing alive in sight, not even birds. All I heard were the crows scavenging for whatever food they could find. I looked around a little more, and I found an abandoned seesaw creaking along with the hollow wind. Despite nothing around me, I, I couldn't help the feeling of constantly being watched. No matter where I looked, I felt eyes on me. Eyes of many. But yet, no matter where I turned, I couldn't see anyone or anything watching me. Just, just imagine the constant feeling of being watched. A never-ending and pervasive feeling of anxiety, of, of dread. Either way, I kept moving, finding twigs to mark a trail back to the farmhouse. It wouldn't be difficult to spot, as this was the only place for seemingly miles, but I did it anyway. Despite the creepy feeling, I searched the house. No signs of anyone. I even looked in the barn where there was nothing but dried hay and rusted tools. I did another round of searching the house and even searched underneath broken floorboards in case anyone fell through or something. Nothing. No one. It was as if the family was spirited away, vanished into nothing. After searching the house, I left and looked straight ahead and found something I didn't notice before. From the distance, there was a city up ahead. Finally, some civilization. Maybe the Mitchells had begun to run over to the city. It would be the logical move in a weird place like this. Find civilization, ask for help. I began heading towards it, a little bit of hope seeping into my veins. Maybe it wasn't all a lost cause. I don't know what creeped me out more. The fact that the place was so dead. The fact that I felt eyes on me despite no trace of anyone for miles. The fact that there was civilization seemingly a breath away. Or, or the way the gray cloud in the sky that loomed near the distant city seemed to move like a human being. It wasn't until I saw the shape of a large arm that I realized what I was staring at. What I was walking towards was not a cloud. I don't know what the hell it was. It, it, it was gray. The arms were so long, so outstretched, I worried it would grab me. How, how could anyone, how could anything grow to be that large? 
larger than a blimp. I, I, I can't even remember exactly how big it was, just that it was giant. It was big enough that I'd be a grain of dirt in its grimy hands. My god. When it turned, it was like somehow it heard me. It heard me, walking towards the city. It, it crawled with those arms, the way it turned, the way it saw me. It, it, it didn't even have a face. How could that thing see me? It let out a roar that I've only heard in horror movies. But it's nothing like the movies. It's so much worse. It pierces your ears. It shakes your brain in your head. Your heart is in your throat, and you can only pray that you survive. I regret what I did next. As soon as I saw that thing, as soon as it roared, I ran. What sounded like thunderclaps in the sky was that thing crawling, hobbling towards me, its hands hitting the ground in scattered earthquakes. It was disembodied, lost, and hungry. I only looked back once. I ran. I ran back to that house. I was close to tears. I wasn't trained for this. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to die. It let out another roar, and I tripped. My face hit the ground so hard I swore I could hear my nose break. It tasted like copper. I already knew I was bleeding. I didn't care. I was laughing hysterically at that point. All that mattered was getting away from that thing. Go. Survive. Tell Cole, tell the director what the hell I'd just seen. I could not die. I'm not religious. I never was. My family never really took me to church or anything like that. But I prayed for the first time in my life. I prayed to a god I wasn't even sure existed. I couldn't die. I made it into the house, and I slammed the door shut, but I could still hear that thing. I didn't want to die. I couldn't die. I would not die. I hurried down the hall, jumping over the holes in the floor. I tripped again inches from the mirror I'd went through. I think that was when I busted my chin open. But the way I scrambled to my feet, the way I dove into the mirror, the way Cole yelled my name and called for medics. Jesus, Watkins! Hey, somebody get the EMTs, damn it! I don't even know how I got out. What, what if that thing took them? What if that thing took the Mitchells? I don't know what it is. I don't know what that thing was. But we can't let it get out. What if that's what the red thing is? That thing is keeping everything from coming out. Is that really what we're looking at when we look in the mirror? What are those things? What is that place? I regret my lapse in judgment. I regret leaving. I regret not trying harder to find the lost family. I should have, I should have kept looking, maybe found a place to hide. I, I gave up too quickly. I, I might have doomed them all. I don't know what the hell they did with the object after I came tumbling out the mirror. I want to believe they're still alive out there, but... What is that? I, Cole said he'd keep a car of officers to watch me tonight. He said I was too shaken up to continue working. 
It might just be them checking in on me. What if it's them? The foundation, who, whoever they are. Maybe they're people sent to keep me quiet. I don't care if I lose my job. But if this is my time, at least I got to tell you what is beyond the mirror. Thanks for listening. You are listening once again to SFC Radio, The Sounds of Brooklyn Heights. You can find us on our website, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Radio FX. See you next time.